0: Left center, deep, God, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss. He struck him oh. out down the line. And that's the ball game.
1: Welcome to Brewers Unfiltered. It's episode 10. Hard to believe already as we get into the middle of May. It's Sophia Minert, joined here with Adam McCalvey of MLB.com and Tim Dillard, Brewers broadcaster, and overall comedic human right
0: I like to think so but
2: (laughs) yeah I didn't know are you asking me or are you (laughs) asking Tim
0: (laughs) I'll let him
1: answer from the group but um guys it's it's episode 10 we're now officially 40 plus games into the season so for those counting at home we are a quarter of a way through the regular season it's gone fast but we've got a really special guest on with us today over the homestand we had a chance to check in with Bill Schroeder the rock who is just been a part of Brewers baseball for a very long time. Now his 40th year uh, combined with the Brewers as a player and as a broadcaster, he's coming up on 30 years in the booth as the TV analyst and and Adam, we had a really fun conversation with Rock covering kind of all of the things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all of the things except the thing that we sat down to talk to him about, or one of the reasons that made us think this was the week to do it, which is that he and Drew Olson re release their book, If These Walls Could Talk. And there's some subtitle that's like 10 words long, but I don't have in front of me. So you'll just have to go find it yourself. (laughs) But it's from Triumph Books. Um, Same publisher that did that little book I did. I I don't mention this often, but I I did a a book with Triumph as well that's called The Milwaukee Brewers at 50 that's available uh, for purchase if you're inclined. But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about uh, Rock's book, which is, Really cool, and was one of my sources when I when I went through and did that book because there's a lot of like behind the scenes stuff about his time as a player and then as a broadcaster and Brewers history, and you have to definitely read the nicknames section, which is maybe the best part of the book. Uh, but anyway, we thought well, this would be a good week to talk to him because it came out last week; it was re released, and that we didn't even mention the book. So good on us.
1: Well, I mean, we just had so much else we talked to him about, you know, coming up in the league and his years as a broadcaster, kind of his assessment of the current team, especially William Contreras. So we had a we had a lot to cover with Rock in our defense. We're gonna defend ourselves here because this is our podcast and we can do that. Yeah. Um but Tim, I know you've gotten a chance to know Rock just obviously, you know, working with him on pre post, on Brewers Live in the booth um, filling in for him now. And then also with Brewers fantasy camp. So you've got, you've gotten to know him in, in all, in all phases.
0: Yeah. The last probably like five years or so I've gotten to rock and it's been awesome. You know, this guy just oozes with wisdom and advice and kindness. Um, I get him to be in some of my dumb social media videos (laughs) (laughs) and he's always like, yep. You know, and it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. He's just, a great guy. Um, and I don't know. I, I owe a lot to what I do now, just to him, because it's every little nugget here and there. And if I bring something up, he already has something ready to go, you know what? We ever thought about this. And I'm going, dead gummit. I mean, he just, that's the kind of guy he is. He walks around. He just, that's the aura that you see. I love Rock. And uh, I know he's listening to this. So,
1: well, we had a great con- conversation with him. So here's Rock. Enjoy our chat with him. We've got a very special guest here on Brewers Unfiltered. It's my honor to introduce him, Bill Schroeder, in his 40th year with the Brewers. Yeah. 40 years, Rock.
3: Hard to believe, isn't it? I know. 29 in the booth. You know, people ask me, are you surprised you've lasted this long? And my response to that is, I'm surprised they let me come back after year after year one. I was so bad, I was scared. <laughs> Yeah, but you've been using that line since, like,
2: 1999 or something like that, a couple years in. You're good, Rock.
3: You know, I'm a lot better than I was in my first year. I mean, I look at video. I have VHS video. I'm one of the few guys that still has a VHS player down in his basement. And I look at uh, some of our opens back in those days, and the thing that scared me most in all the world was live opens. And you can see my face. I look like I was horrified. Me and Pashke. Doing a live open, and me and Vascurian after my third year, still, it took a while for me to get used to that red light in my face.
1: And we still aren't used to it. We still have make mistakes all the time. Yeah,
3: and you just got to get over it. You know, people ask me how the broadcast going. I says, I, I don't, I don't know. That's not for me to say. <laughs> I don't know. I've always made, I make mistakes every day. But uh, anyway, I've had great partners that have been able to cover. Me.
2: Well, look, I have like a little, I feel like I've dabbled a little bit in your world when MLB network came along and they used those, like, I don't know what you call them, Sophia. Cause you, you did it too. Like a correspondent on the afternoon show where they have that robotic camera down by the brewer's dugout. There's one in every ballpark it's controlled in Secaucus at MLB network world headquarters. And they have guests on, we've done it less now in the last couple of years. It's sort of their programming has changed a little bit, but anyway, so I would go down there and do these, what, eight minute hits on their afternoon show. And at the first I went down there with like a writer's mentality where I would try to cram 600 facts into like two minutes of television. And I'd have my little notes and you rock and BA and Sophia and some of the local TV guys here, men and women were like super helpful in terms of helping me to understand. You don't have to like cram an hour of information like I'm doing right now into one little TV hit. Like did you have to learn that how much to say
3: and not say? Well, when I first started in this business back you know, in 95, 96, 97. I would scour the media guide for, you know, the teams that came in. And I finally realized that's not my job. That that is the play-by-play guy's job. My job is to watch the game, look over the notes, see what the trends are, you know, and kind of try and anticipate what might happen you know, out there in the field. Everybody prepares. Sophia prepares one way. I prepare a different way. We none of us none of us prepare the same way. We all need different information, um, but that doesn't mean you have to use all of it. A lot of the best stuff that we get down on the field, we don't. We're not privy to use. You know, we you know some of these guys talk to us in confidence, and sometimes you can get that information and use that. And if you understand something that's going on with a player, you don't necessarily explain what it is that's going on with him but you can kind of maybe give an idea that you know it might not be what it seems you know so you can kind of skirt your way around different issues and you know the managers that we've had here in Milwaukee and I can speak that just about every one of them have been very forthright in the information that you get or that I get around the batting cage you know they have the big media scrum in the dugout and you know and in all honesty, no offense, but I, I don't really spend a whole lot of time down there. And if I have some, if I have a question of Craig Council, you know, I'll try and get him, you know, by the batting cage or in the tunnel or something, ask him a pointed question. And, uh, you know, some of that stuff I can use, some I can't. But just because you have the information, whether it be from a co- player or a coach or a manager or you get statistics. We have Dom Catronio who does our statistics. He does a great job. Sometimes he'll throw statistics at me, and I look at that and I say, "There's no way I'm using that. That's a little bit too in depth." But uh, just because you have this stuff doesn't mean you have to use it.
1: Yeah, and I think that's yeah. I mean, you've taught me a lot um, in, in this job about how you do the job, but also how I can add and like what's relevant to the conversation. And that's something that like you and BA and Jeff and Matt Lepay, all the great people that we've worked with, have done and. I, oh, you've always said, though, too, is even though for us, we might do 150 plus games to us, it may seem repetitive. It might seem like, man, what what haven't we talked about or how many different ways can we talk about Corbin Burns cutter, whatever the topic is. But you always remind us. And it's really simple, but it's true. It's just that, you know, someone might be watching for the first time. And I know that was advice that was given to you. And it's it's still true. Like you you just can't assume that the fans or whoever is watching, they it might be their first Brewer right. game or it might be their first time seeing Corbin Burns or whoever that we're talking about that right. day.
3: And it's not just information. It's your attitude. It's your energy. It's those types of things. There are people out there that are watching perhaps for the first time or haven't watched in a long time. Some people might have not haven't been watching for a couple of years and they're making their assessment on your abilities and your attitude and, and how you present the game you know, for the first time, maybe. And, For that reason, I think it's important that we never really let down just keep the same energy as much as you can. And, you know, when I was doing every single game, sometimes that gets tough. Like you guys got back from the West Coast and then you had a game the next day. And I know sometimes you get tired and um, you you feel like, you know what, I just said that yesterday. And, And again, repetitive, repetitive. But again, not everybody's watching every game and people are assessing you know, how they look at you and whether they think you're a good broadcaster on that particular game. And that's what you always have to remember.
2: Well, I would like to take a step back and tell
3: everybody that we are sitting
2: in what <laughs> Mike Vassalo, the Brewers, great PR director, long time, my, and a real dear friend of rock, calls the archive room. Um And it, it is about the size of a closet. It's a closet. We're in a closet. We're in a closet. And we're, it's our podcasting room today because they're, they're getting ready to play a game outside. But over Rock's right shoulder are scorecards from the 1980s. And it's all of, I mean, we could probably, you could probably reach up and grab a 1987 scorecards. It's a black binder and probably find the, the scorecard. So we're well positioned. Um, what are your memories as a Brewers player? When, when, if somebody asks you, you know, what, what is like your top memory in the uniform? What, what do you think about?
3: My first game ever at uh, County Stadium and I got called up in July of 83 and I went right to Texas you know played a game and we got on a plane and head back to Milwaukee and I was with my dad my dad flew in for it and we rented a car a little car we are fighting around and going down the hill down from Story Parkway down there and um, the, um, the parking lot attendant had a tough time letting me in because I didn't have credentials and nobody ever knew who I was. And I had to convince him that I was one of the players. And he said, oh, yeah, sure. And my fi- finally, he let me go through. And <clears throat> in the parking lot, it looked like it was on fire. All the tailgating, all the grills were going. I'm thinking to go to my dad and this is like every day? This is like on a Tuesday afternoon or something like that? But, uh, you know, just, just the, my first experience, you know, at County Stadium. The other one is that when I walked into the clubhouse in Texas for the first time that I was in the big leagues, um, in that locker room there were five future Hall of Famers in there. You know, Don Sutton and uh, Ted Simmons and Yount and Molitor and and Sutton. So I'm not quite sure how many guys can actually say that their first big league game ever they walked into a clubhouse with five future Hall of Famers. That's a pretty neat thing.
1: I mean, that's, it's wild to think about starting in that room. Like, how intimidating. I mean, we t- we, on the podcast, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, these young players, right? Bryce Terrang, Joey Weimer, Garrett Mitchell, Gus Rollin, these guys who come up and make their debuts. And now they're rookies. They're trying to settle in, right? They're just over 100 played appearances. They're a month-plus into their careers. What do you remember about going through that process? Like, when you think about what Bryce Terang and Joey Weimer are going through right now, about trying to get comfortable in a intimidating room right. with superstars, and you're being challenged on the field, and everything that comes with being a major leaguer. Yeah,
3: back, back in my day, my, my rookie season, um, you know, Dion James and Randy Reddy and Jaime Coke and Aaron myself, all four of us were rookies in, in 1984, and I, I remember, you know, starting, you know, that season, and you know, there were some really, you know, good players. I mean, we're two years removed from you know, World Series appearance for the Brewers. And um, I remember thinking to myself, eyes open, ears open, mouth shut all the time. Only speak when you're spoken to. And my locker at uh, Old County Stadium was right in between Ted Simmons and Ned Yost. And on the other side of Simmons was Andy Etchebaron, who was the, one of the, our coaches, a uh, great big league catcher in his own right. So, you know, I learned a lot just by watching how they handled themselves, um, the things that um, – and Ted Simmons would talk to me about how he would call a game. And after a game, I'd be sitting in there after I, if I was catching, and he would he would go through the whole game like he was catching himself. Why'd you do this? Why'd you call that pitch to Cliff Johnson in that situation and things like that? And in the beginning, I really didn't have much of an answer for him, and he understood that these are the kind of things I have to think about. Um but uh, after a while, I, I kind of got it, and I knew it was a thinking man's game here in the Major Leagues, not just physical, especially catching. And Simmons probably had the biggest impact on my catching, you know, the mental part of it and the game-calling part of it and handling pitchers part of it than anybody ever did.
2: Oh, do you remember the date of your Major League debut In your off the top of your head? July something. I'm not quite sure. It was in Texas. Sophia, hand me 1984. While we talk, I'll see if I can. My debut. Okay, let's let's find that then, 83.
3: I remember specifically, it was, I guess, <laughs> Danny Darden was the starting pitcher for the Rangers. I was catching Bob McClure. He was starting, and I remember sitting in the dugout, I mean, a little nervous, you know? I mean, I was in big leagues, you know, and Ted Simmons sitting next to me, and he says, I want you to understand, you're in the big leagues for a reason. You belong in the big leagues. You've proven yourself in the minor leagues. Just want you to know that when you call a game for this guy tonight, you're gonna to think you're the stupidest guy that ever lived, and that you probably never have called a game for anybody because he he called he pitched backwards all the time, you know. And and sure as you you know he he was right every step along the way. Two old curveballs and throwing, I'd call a fastball, and he'd throw a knuckleball. And I would go out there and I said, "Well, I didn't know you even threw a knuckleball." And he said, "Well, I saw him leaning or something, and I <laughs> threw a knuckleball, and the ball went back to the backstop, but." anyway um, you know, the things that you remember you know the most um, um, and again um, those early days I mean you know they say that you learn the most when you fail when things aren't going well you not only you find you know what a person is made of can you get through it and we're seeing some of these young brewers go through that right now I mean, you, you you don't learn a whole lot when you're when things are really going well and you're, you're swinging a bat and you're getting hits. I mean, it's just all natural. But how you how you handle the failure of this game separates the men from the boys. You, I'm gonna switch my hand here so that we can pause that. Um,
2: Rock, you talked about Ted Simmons being maybe the biggest influence in terms of former teammates. Who is your favorite former teammate? I think I know what you're gonna say, but maybe I'll be wrong.
3: Well, Rob Deer and I—I I knew you
2: were gonna say the rooster. I knew it.
3: <laughs> Rob Deer and I, right away when he came over from the Giants, we had an instant bond. I don't know it's because we were both enormous human beings, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we just we just had we just had a we just had a connection, and uh, we we got along on the field. We we got along a lot off the field. We did a lot together. Our wives got along, and um, you know, and that in that you know went. Many years after we got done playing as well, so um, had a lot of fun with him. Um, And um, you know, when I was with the Angels, uh, I got along really well with Chuck Finley, left-handed starter. He he was just a we were cut of the same cloth. We thought about the game the same way. We we had the same ideas about things, and we just liked to have a good time, you know. And uh, those two guys, I'll never forget. And I got along really well with Lance Parrish too, who was the starting catcher with the Angels. So um spent a lot of time with Lance, but uh, I think I learned the most from Simmons but I got the most in watching Molitor and Yan on a daily basis i mean for, to, to be a play, a young player like that and to watch those two guys not only you know the way they prepared and what robin had to go through later in his career to just to get on the field with all the injuries that he was dealing with the back and the shoulder and and he looked for excuses to get in games didn't look for excuses to sit mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I mean, that's something that, you know, I'll never forget. But watching those two guys was really something that I cherished.
1: History says that your first start was Wednesday, July 13th of 1983 at Arlington Stadium. Mm -hmm. And you caught Bob McClure and Jim Slayton, Mm pinched in that game as well. And you went one for five. I
3: went one for five and I hit a triple. Mm -hmm. And it was the only triple I ever hit in the big leagues. Really, you got it out of the way right away. First hit. And I remember Danny Darwin threw a pitch, and I hit it over Billy Sample's head and center. He was, got
2: into broadcasting too eventually. Yeah,
3: yeah. And, and so I'm I'm rounding second base. David Garcia's at third base because he's got his hands up. And I said, I'm not stopping. I keep going. So the ball hits me in the back about halfway to third base. If that ball didn't hit me in the back, I'd have been thrown out. But had that ball... Because the ball hit me in the back, I did get a triple in the big leagues. That's
2: amazing. And we're looking at the scorecard, which is super cool. Third right here, right?
1: This is this is from I think your first or second game at County Stadium. There's a gap in the history books. No. We're gonna need to talk yeah, this is see, this is what? July twelfth and this is July fifteenth.
3: You see all the K's? There's a lot of K's in my board in my scorecard. It's a strikeout if you didn't know. Yeah. Wow, but we found Look a hole here. in the records.
1: Here. My we've got action run. here.
3: My first home run came against the twins. Al Williams was the pitcher. I hit it the right field. My first home run.
2: Well, we're gonna to have to call Mario Zeno, who probably wrote this scorecard that we're looking at from 1983, and ask him where's July 13th? Maybe they took it out at some
3: point in uh in the Hall of Fame. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Rock,
1: um, um I mean you've been doing this for so long and and we've talked a lot about you know the success of the organization recently, I mean, as we're sitting here today, they've won over 500 games mm-hmm. since 2017. I mean, this has been the best era of Brewers baseball, and like specifically with this team, we're seeing a young catcher in William Contreras. Mm-hmm. What what have you made of kind of his start to the season and working with the pitching staff and just some of the physical tools yeah, that he yeah. has?
3: I've been here a long time, as you mentioned. We've seen catchers come and go. And there have been labels attached to catchers as they come in here. And I think every single one of them to a man, whether it be Narvaez or Grandal or Lucroy or all these guys, they come over here and they say, "I can't catch, he's a hitter. I've never seen that. I think these guys are all very talented behind home plate, and I think William Contreras might be the most talented. I mean, he came over here, everybody said he's real athletic, he can hit homers. Um, you know, he needs work on frame. He's great behind home plate. I mean, I mean, for me, to watch these guys catch on one knee and be able to block balls and knock them down, it's, it's amazing. If I did that in the minor leagues, I mean, they would have released me. I mean, back in those days, you got to get up on your haunches and block balls, but the catching position has changed so dramatically over the last – probably eight five six seven years I mean the way that you know the one knee and the way they're framing pitches and they're bringing everything you know into the strike zone and you know they're on one knee to to do that they're they're to steal strikes and um it's just I think William has nothing but upside to him I mean I can't see him getting any better behind the plate the way he throws from his knees to second base he's got a tremendous throwing arm and um, and he and he and Caratini are off to a great start offensively, and that was something the Brewers needed last year. The other thing, Rock, just in general, is it's information, right? These catchers
2: have to digest such a mountain of information, and that's always been a part of that job is to understand how to handle your pitcher and how to attack Rod Carew and Don Baylor and whoever it is. Um, But it just seems like now there's just
3: more. I mean, and they have – Different statistics on different counts and guys on base and what hitters are looking for. Back in my day, <laughs> there it is. Back in my day, our pitching meeting would be, you know, George Brett. I just hope he hits it at somebody. Uh, next, Rod Carew. I just hope he hits it at somebody. You know, you know, somebody. You know, up and in, down and away. I mean, who don't you pitch up and in, down and away? You know, but um, there is a lot of information. It's an amazing amount of information that Chris Hook and Jim Henderson get, they have to filter all that, give it to the catchers. The catchers have to filter that based on how a pitcher's throwing that particular day. Now, if it's a Wade Miley cutter that is going to be the pitch, you know, before the game and he's got a bad cutter, he's going to have to make an adjustment. And Contreras or Caratini, those are the two guys who are going to know that's before anybody. And um, so you have to be able to think on your feet. Just because you have a plan going into a game doesn't mean you have to stick to it, you know. I mean – Not every, you know, every pitcher is different on every time they go out there. They might have the same pitches, but they're not acting the same way. They might not have the good cutter. They might not have, you know, the sinker's not working, you know. There's only so many Brandon Woodruffs and Corbin Burns out there that, you know, in today's starter, I don't know, you know, but, you know, with with Clayton Kershaw, he's a guy that has been able to evolve. I mean, the guy used to throw in the upper 90s. Now he's 91, 92, and he's still winning games, you know, so – Guys have to evolve not only as they get older and more mature through the game, but they have to be able to evolve in within a start. And sometimes even within an inning, some things might just, some might just go. And that's tougher today because of the pitch clock. You don't have many visits. You don't have a lot of time to walk around the mound and collect your thoughts. And I think that's one, one of the reasons why you're seeing so many big innings in baseball these days.
1: I don't think I've ever asked you this, but if you could put yourself behind the plate and call a game or catch a game for one of the pitchers on this staff, who would you most want to see live like that? Like, who would you want to get behind the plate and catch in a game?
3: That's Somebody on the team now?
1: uh, Yeah, somebody, a pitcher on the staff, right? I don't think I've ever asked you
3: this. No, right. I think it would have to be, you know, Wade Miley is probably, uh, here's what I would think. You know, Wade Miley is like an off day for a catcher. He's got such good command. He doesn't throw that hard. You set up inside, he's going to throw it inside. He's got a good changeup. He would be the easiest guy to catch, I think. One of the more entertaining guys to catch and watch guys, you know, just have such a difficult time, like when I was catching for Teddy Higuera. I mean, there were times I felt sorry for left-handed hitters up there (laughs) because he would just abuse them. But, I mean, either Brandon Woodruff or Corbin Burns. I mean, obviously, I mean – the stuff that they have and the arsenal of pitches that they they can go to—if one or two of them aren't working—they've got two others or three others that they can go to. So, I think Wade Miley would be a good guy to catch if you're kind of feeling a little bit tired because you don't have to move too much because everything's right there. But you know, to watch you watch somebody just abuse a hitter—either one of those two guys.
2: Can we go way back, Rock? What you know, you talked about how you and Rob Deere were the the biggest guys. Were you a big kid? Like what? What was what was Bill Schroeder like as a kid? Wow, that's a tough one. <laughs> and I mean, like, what? Tell us about like what what sports you were involved in. What yeah. you know, how you came to 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 baseball at Clemson, and then and then the big leagues.
3: Well, you know, when I when I was young, I was I was a my my birthday's in September, so you know, I was a, I was always a a young kid, but kind of like with baseball, my my father held me back one year because. Because my birthday fell in a time where they could so when when everybody else was going from Little League to Bayreuth, I was still in my last year in Little League. So when I was in like seventh grade, or I forget maybe sixth grade, I forget what it was, but um uh, and I'm not good at math, but you know, when I was playing in my col my, my high my school team, I was playing regulation bases. But then I go to a little league game and I'm playing little league rules. So I'm throwing I'm catching or I'm pitching and I'm catching one day and a kid steals, and I throw, and I literally knock the glove off the shortstop because I <laughs> threw it so hard to him. So, you know, so I I, I always kind of dominated, you know, in sports because I was an older guy. For I, It wasn't like I was my parents were cheating, but I was I was eligible to play a little bit later. You know, I'm a little bit older than all the other guys, and I was always bigger than most, you know. I didn't have a growth spurt in college. I mean, I was always kind of like a big kid um but um, and getting bigger you know the wrong ways but <laughs> but um, you know i had you know i i went to a, a high school in in New Jersey, first graduating class, west windsor Plainsboro high school, and uh you know I hit like you know four you know five hundred, but you know we were we weren't playing the greatest of competition, but my college, my high school coach always thought that I had ability to play college, so I had already um applied to, you know to Clemson to Georgia. I had an opportunity to go to West Point. Uh, my father knew, had some connections with, you know, a senator or whatever in New Jersey. But I, uh, I got accepted to, to those schools. Uh, I had already been accepted to Clemson, so my college coach, or a high school coach, if I'm going too long, stop me. Had Bill Wilhelm, who was the, the, the coach at Clemson, come up and see, see me in the game. He was on a recruiting mission. So, and he introduced himself to me before the game went on to, like, strike out and throw a ball into center field. And it's like and my father was at the game, and they were sitting together, and I'm watching, oh, Jesus. After the game, he offered me a full scholarship because he had already done his homework. So that's how I ended up getting down to Clemson. But I had already been accepted there. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, I decided that I wanted to go down south and get away from the the crummy weather. But, um, yeah, and then then I got got drafted after my junior year and went to Butte, Montana. Was that
2: a culture shock? Uh, well, all three really New Jersey to Clemson University to Butte, Montana. I mean, that's part of kind of developing as a player, isn't it? Yeah,
3: that's all part of like college, getting away from home and being on your own and making decisions good and bad and indifferent, you know? And I made them all. I mean, some bad, some good. Um, everything seemed to work. I wouldn't change a thing that I did throughout my life. I wouldn't, there's nothing I would change because. All the things that I did throughout my life got me to this point. You know, I, I love my job. I mean, next year will be 30 years, and I hope I keep going. And as long as they, they'll allow me just to do home games, I can keep going. Especially with this pitch clock thing. This is like, you know, I'm getting home early. But um, you know, I love the people I work with. You know, Sophia and BA and Levering and you know, all, everybody. It's just, it's a family. You know, after all these years, it's I would miss it horribly
1: yeah you're not well you're not allowed to retire yeah. so just peer
3: down a little bit and not <laughs> retire so much yeah but this home th- home this home game thing has really been good
2: well, well let's talk about that rock because i think whenever i talk to you and hear you tell your story this is an important part of it is like get your physical mm-hmm. right i mean do you want to tell a little bit about that story and the last couple of years and how it came to be that you're getting a little bit more time with
3: yeah. with kate and door county Kate and Rupert, they're enjoying having me around a little bit more. But, yeah, I mean, three years ago, I went in for my physical. Um, and, um, you know, Dr. Doctor Young, who was a Brewer doctor, checked my heart. And he said, you know what, I'm going to have you go over and see Dr. Kletchka, the cardiologist. I'm not quite sure what's going on here, but it's something that um, he didn't really notice before. And I get a physical every year. And. Uh, kletchka checked me out. I got an echocardiogram, and a week later, I had open-heart surgery. I had a defective valve. I was born with a, a defective valve. Two, two of the three flaps were fused together. And while, when I was young, and they were pliable, it was working fine, and as you get older, it calcifies, and half the blood was shooting out, half was spilling back in. It was expanding my aorta. So they have a scale of, like, 1 to 6, and the aorta 6 is, like, you better get something done i was like 5.9 so um so i had the heart surgery that was kind of a shock that i said i didn't have a whole lot of time to think about you know it was a week you know i mean a week later so um and then you know covid hit and i didn't have to travel Mm -hmm. because and if that was the case i wouldn't have been able to travel in 2020 because i had that heart surgery two days before christmas Mm -hmm. and um you know, There's no way I would have been able to travel in 2020. Didn't travel in 2020, did all the games from here, um, the ballpark here, and then same thing in 2021, and then finally I was able to travel in 22. So as horrible as COVID was for the whole world, I mean, it, the timing of that was good for my recovery.
1: Yeah, and we're grateful that you went for your physical that day. I'll never forget when you called me to tell me what was going on. Mm-hmm. And it was a shock to all of us. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, it's never a call that you think you're going to get. But we're all really grateful that, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you are very healthy now. You're still very diligent about your health and your walking mm-hmm. and going yeah. to your appointments and your follow-up. So, yeah, I think that's the message that we all took away from it was, like, it's really important to be diligent about your health. You do.
3: You need to go get your physicals. You need to get to your prostate exams. You need to get all that stuff done. As much as people think that they don't need it, you do. Because I had no, I had never had any idea that I had a defective heart valve. I, I was told when I was young that I had a heart murmur, which was kind of, it's kind of like a squeezing sound or something, not just a beat. But anyway, it turned out to be a defective heart valve. And Sophia was there the whole day during my surgery. Her and BA were there in support of the family so i'll never forget that
2: well that's what you guys are You that tv crew um you guys are a family as much as, as anybody and rock it's got to have changed just your outlook on this whole th- we talked about this in spring training a little bit it's got to when you go through an experience like that where you kind of face your mortality almost it's got to change the way you look at everything the job the people around you the game mm-hmm. i mean it, that, that that you just can't help that right
3: sweat the small stuff, right? I mean, the little things, like when my internet gets fuzzy, I used to get really upset. Now I could care less. But no, I mean, little things mean a lot after you go through something like that. And it's a shame that it takes something like that for you to realize that all the little irritations in life really don't amount to a whole lot. We're all very fortunate. But if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. It doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter where you're living, it doesn't matter any of that, because you know a little scary situation and you know the recovery took a pretty good a, a good year to feel like I do right now and I'm knocking on wood if I can find any there's not a whole lot in his bunker no it's, it's-
2: metal filing <laughs> cabinets and uh plastic and score scorecard. Score <laughs> yeah not a to yeah, that'll yeah. work yeah.
3: but no i mean you know dr Kletchka and and, and dr pearson over at Freighter. i mean i can't thank them enough i'm i'm friends with dr Kletchka um dr pearson was on his feet for 12 hours during my surgery it was a 12-hour heart procedure and um yeah i mean it's a long time to be under so but it it all worked out
2: well i think we should wrap it up rock we just did a 30-minute chat we didn't even mention the name juan Nievis. it's a little (laughs) known fact that you caught the first no hitter in brewer's history that that never we never
3: bring that up well I, i i try to hook up with with juan when they were here um, here at the ballpark. he's a pitching coach for the Tigers. And every time I went down there, he was in the bullpen. Yeah. And uh, we just never hooked up. But we texted back and forth a few times. Still a good friend. Uh, he was a fantasy camp coach. And, you know, you're really not worth your salt unless you've been invited to coach a fantasy camp. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Got to get you down there sometime. Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> I'll cover it. I'll go down and cover Sophia's it. been
1: there. I have been. I have been in attendance of at fantasy camp. And I think you should go do a little news story about it. Has
2: Sophia taken it at a
3: bat in Fantasy Camp? No, no. She was social director the year that I <laughs> in 2020 before uh, I couldn't go. I mean, so the one problem that I had with my surgery the time was that I couldn't go to Fantasy Camp. And I told the cardiologist, I said I can't do it then. I have Fantasy Camp. He said if you go to Fantasy Camp, you'll never go you'll never do it again. So he kind of convinced me to stick around. So Sophia was the social director that year.
2: Well, I am famous for blowing out my hamstring in a media versus front office softball game. So I think if I do it, I'll have to get in maybe some better shape.
1: That's okay, but you'll also fit right in with the rest of the fantasy campers. I think the training staff at Fantasy Camp are actually the hardest working people <laughs> at all of camp.
2: Yeah, when spring training comes around, it's
3: yeah. like a break for the training staff because yeah. they got through. It's kind of like, you know, the training staff, they go down there and they see injuries they've never seen before. So, <laughs> <laughs> That'll be me. I look forward to it.
1: It'll be fun. Let's go. I'm in. Okay. Rock, is that okay?
2: Yeah, well, I'll I'll get you guys a deal. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What, like 5% off?
1: (laughs) This is a fair trade. Come on, Brewers Unfiltered, and then we'll get a Fantasy Camp discount.
3: You're, You're both in. Consider yourselves in.
1: Rock, thanks so much for the chat. We appreciate it. It's Great always time. always the best chatting with you. Yeah,
3: good, good good times, anytime. Just let me know.
1: It's always a good time when you get the chance to sit down with Bill Schroeder. We'll hopefully have him on at another episode of Brewers Unfiltered, get his assessment as we get deeper into the season. So we've got a lot more to talk about. Again, we're a quarter way through the season. Christian Yelich is having a terrific start to the month of May. We've got some pitching stuff to talk about, some roster news as well. So stick around. We've got a lot more to come here on Brewers Unfiltered. We're back on Brewers Unfiltered and Adam and Tim, we got a lot to talk about. You know, it was it was a rough road trip uh for for the team the last time they were out against Colorado and San Francisco, but then they they turned things around pretty well on the homestand. Um, A tough matchup with the Dodgers, of course. They went 1-2 and there. But then they came back with a sweep of the Kansas City Royals over the weekend. So a 4-2 and homestand for them now. And Christian Yelich was a big reason why they were able to get that sweep against Kansas City. Just a a monster weekend at the plate. The multi-homer game on Saturday. Then it was two pitches into the game on Sunday. He homers again. Stolen bases and hard contact an adventure around the bases, scoring from first to home. Uh, That was a wild ride for everyone, uh, maybe especially Christian. But what what do you guys think here, what we've seen from him over the last two weeks, and especially over the weekend?
2: Well, it's the ball in the air. Um, And when Christian Yelich hits the ball in the air, good things happen because he hits the ball really hard. Even when he's going through the stretches where he's grounding out a bunch, it's lots of really, really hard contact, and that's what's always given uh, Ozzie Timmons and Connor Dawson and the Brewers hope that you know that 2018, 19 Christian Yelich is still there and that is still accessible if he can drive the baseball more consistently. And that's what exactly what he's been doing for the last couple of weeks. And it's a it is a very good sign, uh, and and it's you know it's sustainable because again, like. The, the the loud contact never really went away for him. It was just the direction that it was going. He was beating a lot of those um, those hard hits into the ground, and that's not a recipe for success. So, it, look, I always – I feel every, every time we talk about Christian Yelich, I throw in the caveat that you can't put it all on one guy in baseball. It's That's not how it works. That's not how good teams have success. But, I mean, geez, like you can <laughs> – a lot of it's on him. A lot, it's That's just the fact of it. And when he's great,
0: this is a much, much better, more dangerous offense. Yeah, but there's a lot to unpack here with Yellich going through. Um, so if you look at April, he had 33 strikeouts and 11 walks in 24 starts. And so far in May, in only 13 starts, 7 strikeouts to 4 walks. And that right there tells you he's just swinging more. And if on the show the other night, uh, Vinny Rotino broke down what Jelic is doing with his front foot rather than the big leg kick. He's doing a little toe tap. But basically, it's just to get the foot down. Get the foot down so that you can be ready to swing when the pitch is there. So I think he just feels more comfortable swinging right now and making contact. And I you could tell when he hit that home run out the right field to lead off the game the other day against the Royals that he just feels good. The way he dropped the bat, he was going up there looking... I can hit a ball out of the park right now. And he got like an an 87-mile-an-hour cutter at the top of the zone that just never made it to the catcher. And I I think that spawns from him being healthy. Uh, We look at the stolen bases. He already has four stolen bases this month, had five last month. Um, He has more RBIs this month, uh, five multi-hit games. He only had seven last, last month. So what we're seeing is that the hard percentage of hitting, yes, the highest of his career. He's hitting ball harder now than he ever has in his career. And at the same time, he feels comfortable in the box and he can get to those pitches. How many times have we seen him get, you know, late on a fastball and he fouls it off like, oh, just missed it. I think his foot's down and he's ready to swing. And we're seeing him just have fun out there. And that whole play where he stole the base and then got the third on the air and then scored on the air. And he came up and just kind of did his hands. I mean, he was on full display. This is Christian Yelich on full display. He's doing it in the outfield, too. Outs above average is three. Joey Weimer's four. Uh, that's some of the best in baseball, talking about the outfield. He is doing it all right now, on the base pass, in the box, in the outfield. It's Christian Yelich's moment this month.
1: Yeah, in May. I mean, Tim, you, you broke it down pretty well about just the adjustments that he's made. And I think, to me, what stands out is not just the hard contact, but the on-base percentage is 400. And to have him in the leadoff spot with that kind of on base, I mean that does to Adam's point like that what that does for the rest of the lineup, and the threat of him stealing, um, is huge. It's it's huge. And we talked about it over the weekend too of like his number of runs scored. He's leading the team, and like Rock said, he's like there's an art to that, right? Of and it comes with not just getting on base and stealing bases and the base running. It's just it's it's being out there. So it's been a great start. Um, you know, Craig always uses that analogy of driving the bus, and Christian was certainly doing that for the team offensively here over the homestand, and hopefully he can keep it going because this is going to be a tough road trip with the Cardinals and the Tampa Bay Rays. These are two very good pitching staff. So.
2: And, and we should just say that, you know, the, the the health that Tim talks about is always key for every player. We know it's especially key for Christian Jalic and – you know, he, he did come out of Monday's game. It was 8 nothing, but we, we asked about that after the game, and his back has been a little tight lately. So you, you hope there that they have these years with him where when he goes in these stretches where that back kind of gets a little tight, they've been super proactive about it. And you hope that this is a case of, of, of that, of that experience, um, you know, coming into play as they try to navigate through this. So it's a good time to have an off day on Thursday for him to rest up Maybe a little beach time.
0: Did the guys actually go to the beach in St. Pete? Are you asking me? I, I don't know. I'm a layersman, man. I put layers on. I. Ain't. We're gonna have to <laughs> ask our
1: resident Ray's Ozzie Timmons, Mike Brasso, Willie Adamas about what to do on an off day. In yeah, perfect. Pete. <laughs> yeah, we should've, we should have we should have put that on the list for podcast agenda. But um, you know, as as we got the series started here in St. Louis, there was a bit of a roster shuffle, and it, it kind of started over. The weekend, Uh, we got the news that Eric Lauer, they were going to skip his turn here in the rotation. Um, Colin Ray started Sunday afternoon, and then Eric Lauer, in his first appearance out of the bullpen, ends up finishing the game, going five and a third, gave up two runs, uh, home runs in the ninth, but overall a really good outing for him. It was just under 90 pitches for him. Um, And when we talked to Craig yesterday, Some of the pieces here, so they've optioned now Colin Ray to Nashville. We know we're going to see him come back at some point. He said Eric Lauer is going to have a significant role in the Tampa series coming up this weekend, so you can deduce that for what you want without official confirmation. And then they have added Darren Ruff. Um, He's had a bit of a whirlwind of a year. He started with the Mets, was designated for assignment, went back to the Giants, was dealing with a right wrist injury, got DFA'd. The Brewers picked him up. He's now here. Luke Voigt's on the IL. So there's a lot to process there, guys, with kind of what they're doing with the roster right now. But I think with Eric Lauer specifically, he spoke about how much he needed to sort of mentally get things together with the confidence and the execution after that start against the Dodgers. And I think he found some answers, hopefully, um, in that relief appearance against Kansas City on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that because that, that conversation with him after that Dodgers start was pretty interesting where, you know, these are high-level professional athletes who don't, you know, often let us in when there is a wavering in confidence. And this was the case of Eric Lauer sort of letting us in there and letting the fans in a little bit to the fact that that is a huge part of their job. And Tim knows a gazillion times more than me about this part of pitching but we talk so much you know we talk about the lab we talk about the the bullpens and the tweaks they make with Chris Hook and Jim Henderson and adding new pitches and moving on the mound and all the little things that pitchers do to squeeze every bit of you know ability out of those arms but but what happens inside their head is really really important as well and and I appreciated Eric kind of letting us in a little bit on that being part of this for him. So I don't know if the the whole thing about the Rays this weekend where Council didn't want to say that he's going to start one of those games. I mean, with Colin Ray out, they need, like Eric Lauer is in the rotation, I, I would think, unless they do an opener situation, which would be great to do that in Tampa, home of the, in, or in St. Pete, I should say, close enough, home of the, uh, the opener. So um, that's a possibility, I suppose, but just, I mean, I th- kind of think of Eric Lauer as, back in the rotation now with
0: Colin Ray out. Well, I think being a starter in the big leagues, like I've never had a chance to do that, but it it carries a lot of weight. And when things aren't synced up and things aren't good, um, then every five days you almost start to dread it a little bit. Like, well, what am I going to do? I don't have any confidence in what I'm about to do when I get out there. And um, what I saw from Eric Lauer, I thought this was a great move, by the way. I mean, basically it was like a tryout for Colin Ray and Eric Lauer to see who's going to be the guy that, maybe possibly stays in the rotation. And it does a lot of stuff when you go from the starting rotation to the bullpen. It gives you a lot of urgency for each of your pitches. You can't just throw get-me-overs. You know that you can. You could give up a couple runs in the first inning. You end up throwing six innings. You did your job, and everybody loves you. Um, At the bullpen, you can't do that. You come in, you may only face one guy or or a couple innings. You give up a couple runs, you, you didn't do your job. So it makes each pitch that he throws more important. Uh, so that he's, that's a good thing, Um, but what I really love, the fact that he did go five and a third, saving the bullpen in general, but finishing a baseball game, there's something magical about being on the mound, whether you're up 10 runs, or you got a save, or you're in double-A or triple-A, but it does not matter, you're on the mound, you get the last out, the catcher comes out, you shake his hand, you give a little hug, you get the ball, there's something magical there, and that right there could easily be a reset button for a pitcher, You just, I don't know what it is. It just puts you in a good headspace. You feel like you contributed and did your job, and then you just start oozing confidence. I I would say that was probably the biggest thing that I saw is just Eric Lauer being on the mound, finishing a game, and what that can lead to.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what they're hoping kind of that unlocks for him, right, is just to free him up mentally and sort of simplify things, simplify the routine, simplify the, the work in between starts, Simplify his thought process, right? Don't worry about navigating a lineup three times. Um, And especially because that tough start came against the Dodgers, which is a team that he had had such great success against his whole career. And then it just kind of blew up in that one game. So I think hopefully, you know, it sounds like when we talked to Eric after the game on Sunday, he maybe found some of those things again. Um, I think there was also like some sort of relief maybe to like get that done and 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 pitch the way that he did and help the team win I think you know to your point Tim that has to feel good for a player from a confidence standpoint especially when that might be rattled a little bit so oh we'll see uh kind of how they navigate things here moving forward they've got Wade Miley and Corbin Burns pitching here in St. Louis the off day on Thursday and then nothing mapped out after that but you would assume it would be Adrian Hauser and Eric Lauer and then Freddie again so we'll see I mean no no confirmation on that they don't have it um, you know scripted out or at least publicly scripted out but presumably I think that's kind of what we're expecting to see against the Rays but it wouldn't surprise me if they went with an opener situation and maybe they want to keep Eric in this space to let him continue to build the confidence
2: well and you're also talking about the Rays one of the the most if not the most dangerous lineups um, offensive units in in baseball so Counts said there were some moving parts. I haven't dug into the Rays enough to know what those are yet, but some moving parts that might determine, what you know, what they want to do there. Start a game, start a game with a righty, then go to Lauer, whatever it is. Um, and look, let's just put a pin in the fact that Eric Lauer is hugely important to what they're doing right now because we've talked about this on a bunch of episodes. They've stretched their starting pitching depth to pretty close to the limit. I mean, they have this collection now with... Um, with Corbin Burns pitching really well, again, is a, is a very big deal. Miley has kind of been this, this anchor uh, the, whole, the, the whole way. Um, but, look, they, 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 uh, they need, they need Freddie Peralta. They need Eric Lauer. They need Adrian Hauser now because – and then Colin Ray, as Sophia said, will be back. But, but they, with, with Ashby down, with Woodruff down, um, and even Jason Alexander, a guy who gave him a bunch of starts last year, and kind of that, that has an impact for everybody else. Uh, with those guys down, they're they're kind of at the limit of their starting pitching depth. Uh, so it's really it's just really vital to get the most out of the guys that are healthy.
1: All righty, well we've got more to get to here on Brewers Unfiltered. Stick around. We'll uh, we'll continue our chat about Brewers baseball. We're back on Brewers Unfiltered here to wrap it up with a couple of rapid round questions for you guys. So, guys, we know the Oakland A's, it's been been a struggle for a while. And there was just news recently that they have reached an agreement in Las Vegas. So if there was a city other than Vegas, obviously, is there a city that you would like to see get a major league team?
2: You know what I'm going to say because I was just there and Sophia and I were talking about it on Monday. I I played hooky from the Royal series and went and did just a weekend for fun in Austin. And I am like team Austin, Texas at this point with bike lanes everywhere, uh, breweries everywhere, Tex-Mex and tacos and barbecue everywhere. Uh, Really, really super fun city and like way bigger city than I thought in my head. I told Sophia, like, I thought Austin was Madison. And it's not. It's, it's a big city. So uh, I am all in on Austin getting a major league team. Just because I want to go there and stay at the Austin proper. Uh, little Austin. hotel plug. Little Marriott plug. And that concludes Adam's
1: <laughs> tour of commerce <laughs> promotion exactly. for Austin. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah,
0: writing, hopefully I'm going to get a... some Austin City Limits swag in the mail now. <laughs> writing a book about Austin, Massachusetts. Um, well, they have a team there. They have the Round Rock Express. I know. I there may be some geographical
2: great. challenges to my plan yeah. to to relocate. I'm not saying I have all the uh, business details worked out yet. I just want to. Uh, you're right, yeah. Round Rock. I looked at it, it was about 30 minutes outside downtown, something like yeah.
0: that. Yeah, and it's owned by Nolan Ryan. So yeah, if there's a. If, if, hey, we're thinking about putting a major league team. He may be like, put no. me in a headlock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, punch you in the top of the skull. Uh, yeah, I, I would say, you know, a lot of people want to put a team in Nashville. There's even a coalition together to like, try to get a major league team in Nashville and they already have a place. They think they want to do it. I don't see that happening just because the sounds do so well and they think they just approved a new football stadium. So I don't know if the taxpayers even want that, but you know what I really loved? I really loved playing triple A baseball in Portland. Portland, Mm. Oregon was fantastic. And they shared a stadium with the soccer Team, but the soccer team got so popular they were like they kicked out the AAA uh, Padres, I think at the time. And anyway, they draw amazing, and they even have a fund put together, I think, to bring a major league team to Portland when the time comes. So anyway, just a really cool spot. Um, I I don't know if that's even on the table anymore, but I don't know. I think they could. I think they could handle it.
1: That's that's a good one. I didn't expect you to say Portland, but that's that's a good one. Um, I was going to say Nashville as well, just because I feel like, who you know, I think the players in AAA appreciate the fact that, like, no one really wants to be in AAA, right? You, of course, rather be with the Major League team. But if you're going to be somewhere playing AAA baseball, Nashville is the place to do it.
0: Believe me, I I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Spent a decade doing that. It is. it is Guys, six-year free agents, they're like, hey, you're in Bruiser in Nashville? No. Hey, I'll sign with you guys. Let's go. You know, it's a hot spot. People people want to go there. I think you're right. Big league team? Who knows?
1: Yeah, I think I I could definitely be on board with Portland. I always thought that was a great NBA stop. Um, and I think it'd be great to do Portland in the summer and maybe not in like February. Um, I would also say, I don't know if I have a specific city, but somewhere in the Carolinas, like whether it'd be like a Charlotte or um you know pick one of the minor league cities like durham or uh greenville south carolina i just think somewhere in the carolinas would be cool um i know there's a ton of minor league baseball there but i don't know something different i'm trying to think like of the directions we go we kind of check in all the boxes east west south canada
0: yep montreal and charlotte are two that i get i've heard through the you know the whispers that you know could get a team when that it's time to expand. So anyway, Montreal uh, just needs a new stadium. I think
2: I'm I'm sad. All of us picked like cities that actually maybe could support baseball, Wait. and none of us went like you know.
1: Well, I'll do, I'll just go I'll go off the grid then. Oh, okay. If we're gonna
2: just someplace you want to go. If we're gonna go oh. to
1: Canada, I think let's go to Vancouver.
2: Oh yeah, uh, I'm gonna say Maui. I was about to say. Okay. I
0: was like, anywhere we want to go. Like, I'm thinking Maui. Yeah, you may lose me on the trip. Now I'm thinking of all the places I want there. to go. We need to do a, a road trip for the podcast oh, to scout out awesome. new
2: locations. Yeah,
1: yeah. We'll we'll come back and we'll make a presentation to Major League Baseball about <laughs> here are the real. I want to spend more
2: time in Bozeman. Let's put a team
3: there
1: at the Yellowstone Ranch. Yeah,
3: exactly.
1: <laughs> um. OK, so we at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about Rock's new book, If These Walls Could Talk, the re-release, the updated version. Uh, I don't know if we've got great answers for this one, but what's the last great book you read?
2: Tim's just devouring books over there. I've got one. Um, Larry Baldessero is uh, a professor of Italian at UWM, and we see him in the press box a lot. He's written for... Uh, what, the Brewer's Game Day program. Um, he's involved in the local chapter of Sabre, so he still does a lot of writing. But in 2022, he won uh, a Sabre Research Award for a book he did about Tony Lazeri, um, the the former Yankees second baseman, and it was really good. It was actually, like, kind of a groundbreaking book and uh, some of Lazeri's health issues throughout his career that never saw the light of day. And um, I know he did, like, spent tons of time talking to family and and people associated with the Yankees and it was a great great book and and Larry's like kind of a we we don't talk about him much on the pod but he's a, a someone who we get to see in the press box like I said all the time and really knows uh if you have any question about an Italian American who played the the game of baseball uh Larry is your guy like if you want to talk about Joe DiMaggio or Ted Williams or whoever Call Larry and he'll uh, he'll fill a couple hours for you. Well, what if you don't read books?
0: I just want to... <laughs> I think y'all know this about me. I don't read. I can't remember the last thing I read. I read the instructions on I had to fix the garbage disposal when I was at home last week. Um, so I read online like how to how to fix that. I I did fix it. I don't know if nice. that counts as a book, but it was several sentences. I will say all your
2: fingers intact still. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I cut the power. That's step one. Um, yeah, no, I I just, I don't know. I don't read a lot of books. I, this sounds awful. I feel like kids are listening to this be like, well, that guy doesn't read books, and so parents tell your kids, like, well, this guy's kind of a borderline hobo, so. <laughs> uh, don't be like him. Read books. Yeah, my kids love books, and they talk to me about books, and I feel... I feel guilty.
1: <laughs> Maybe we just need to find you like a Star Wars book.
2: Oh, yeah. Or oh, we would do comics. Well, there are Star and There are a million Star Wars books. Like, oh, isn't yeah. that like part of the Star Wars universe is all these it's novels true. about Star
1: Wars? Yeah. We can find one of those for you, Timmy.
0: One day. <laughs> one no, day. now I have homework. I have homework <laughs> and I have anxiety. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: um. Well, I'm not. I, I actually, I love to read. I just struggle to make time for reading during the season it just gets hard and you know I'm just making up excuses at this point so generally I just read whatever Jeff tells me to read he sits next to me on the plane and he's a he's an avid reader so generally we kind of joke it's like a book club Jeff reads it he decides if I'm gonna like it or not and then he gives it to me on the plane I read it and then I give it back and we just continue in the cycle so the last book I read was one it was just a novel called The Perfect Marriage but it was kind of like a you know psychological thriller you know drama so it was it was entertaining it was an entertaining read a
2: psychological thriller about <laughs> marriage sounds about right
1: Yeah, <laughs> there were a lot of lot of pieces there um, so it was uh, it was good and now I'm waiting for him to give me the next recommendation so no pressure Jeff if you're listening
2: do audiobooks count as reading books for you guys
1: Sure, you're consuming the book. Yeah. Uh, to me it's like you're consuming Tim the To me a
2: face, I think he's not I think he's not going. Well, gonna, I gonna, mean, if
0: we're going to go that avenue. Let's just go movies, right? Movies. I'm listening to movies all the time. Yeah. That could count. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love
2: audio, I I love audiobooks from the Milwaukee Public Library. You can get like this app where you can check out audiobooks from the library like right on your phone. Oh, nice. And I found that to be like a really good way as you're driving to the yard, you, you know, I had a quite a spring training commute this year. So, I like crushed a two audiobooks during spring training, so I felt like I was reading, even though I'm just sitting there driving,
1: <laughs> but that's productive
0: yeah, you're get yeah, exactly
1: okay, to wrap it up, stat of the week, what do you guys have?
0: yeah um, yeah I, I didn't really have one, so I went very obvious, and my stat is one twenty one That's how many games are left in the season
1: <laughs> really?
0: I mean, this is the episode ten. Right. And and you know, the the season's been going on and we're there's so much here and we're putting so much on everything going on and uh they just got done playing game forty one. So yeah, hundred and twenty one games left. Well mine I feel like I may have read or seen during the
2: weekend while I was um eating food in barbecue. Austin. <laughs> yeah, while I was eating barbecue in Austin. Um but about I was following along with the brewer, so I apologize if if someone else pointed this out, but my stat of the week is 26.8, which is um, Christian Yelich's fly ball percentage this month, which would be the fifth highest month of his career. And we talked about, look, like driving the baseball, getting the ball in the air is going to lead to a lot of success for Christian Yelich. Um, So there was one month in 2021 that was higher. And then there were a couple months in 2019, but, but this 26.8 Twenty-six point eight is higher than any fly ball percentage that he had during twenty eighteen when he had his MVP season. So it's uh it's a, a one barometer of success, and it's something that he's doing well lately.
1: I like it. We love launch angle.
2: Yeah. Yes. We love
1: we love a sp- launch angle. We love that. Um mine is 371, and that is the overall team earned run average through the first 40 games, and that's second best in the National League. And 392 is the starting pitching starting pitching uh, earned run average, which is sixth best in the National League. And I just think it's not the sexiest stat, but I do think it's important because We know that this team is built on pitching, and I just think it's important to recognize that despite being down, Brandon Woodruff and Aaron Ashby and Eric Lauer going through his struggles, that they're still doing their job. And so I just think through the first quarter of the season, they're kind of right where they want to be in terms of what they're getting from the starting rotation. There's been some adversity around that group, but they're getting the job done, so and, I, and obviously, you know, to Tim's point, with 121, they're going to need that to continue if they want to stay at the top of the division. So that's my my little stat of the week. Um, but, guys, good chat. We'll see, uh, we'll see what we have in store here for the rest of the week in St. Louis and then our off day in Tampa and what we've got in store. It's, it's going to be a fun series coming up this weekend with the Brewers and the Rays. So, yeah. Um, that that's it I think that's a wrap for episode 10 of Brewers Unfiltered thanks for joining us you can follow us at Adam McKelvey at Tim Dillard at Sophia Minner and of course on all of the Brewers social platforms that's at Brewers wherever you want to find them so thanks and we'll talk to you next time on Brewers Unfiltered